The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, one of the things that you know, if you know me well or if you follow me on social media at all, is that I have a dog that I hate. And this is her. No, ain't no all in it. No, uh, no. See, because when I tell people that I hate my dog, they always say, you really love her. And what you mean is I really love my dog. But I do not love this dog. My daughter, Kate, for a long time wanted a dog. And I said, no. And it had to meet all of these stipulations. My older daughter is allergic to a lot of the dander, so we had to have a certain kind of hypoallergenic dog, as much as dogs can be hypoallergenic, and it had all of these other criteria. And when we started looking, when she started looking, um, we couldn't find one that was like less than like $1,500. And I was like, I'm not spending $1,500 on a dog. But last year, almost a year ago this week, I stumbled across this dog that a family in Oklahoma was giving away. And so first strike against this dog was that she was a dog. (laughs) And the second strike against her was that she was from Oklahoma. (laughs) But I had this picture in my head of my little girl one day sitting on a therapist's couch talking about how her dad never let her have a dog. And I said, of all the things that you're going to spend that session on, let it not be me not giving you a dog. I've done way worse to you than that. So I did it to myself. I hunted down, got this dog. We brought the dog home about a year ago. The dog's name is Revolution, and we call her Rev for short. You can follow her on Instagram at at Rev and the Reverend, which is just my and her life together. Because even though this is supposed to be my daughter's dog, uh, I still largely work at home. And so when they are gone, it is just me and the dog 10 hours a day and that dog has no sense and will not leave me alone. So it doesn't matter where I go or what I do, I cannot go to the bathroom, I cannot walk upstairs, I can do nothing. So she's a puppy and that breed of dog needs about two 45 minute sessions every day of exercise, just to sort of get it all out. And I ain't got two 45-minute sessions, but I can do one. And so this past year, as she has clung to my side, we have begun a daily walk together. And so about five times a week, she and I head out early in the morning, and we do our three, four-mile walk together. And there aren't very many joys in my life in terms of having a dog, but one of those joys is actually 
walking the dog. And so I have come to call this the spiritual practice of being outside. And I know it's summer and it's Houston and a lot of us don't want to do anything outside. It's very much like this woman's t-shirt that I saw in Galveston last month. She had a t-shirt that just said indoorsy. And like, I know a lot of us are kind of like that. Like, let's just stay inside. But the question I want to ask you is what if there's something of God that we discover outside? Just being outside. So if you've been around this summer at Ecclesia, we have been hearing the voices of women who have been Christian leaders and thinkers throughout the Christian story and how they have impacted us and what they might have to teach us, ways that they can help point to God. And today, I want to introduce you to one of my favorites, and this is her. Her name is Annie Dillard. The year that I was born, Annie Dillard wrote her most well-known book. The title of it is Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. And the book is about solitude and the writing life, the reflective life. But the backdrop of it all is where she lived in the Blue Ridge Mountains and what it is that God spoke to her in that time. And here's part of what she says about outside. She says, it's all a matter of keeping my eyes open. Beauty and grace are performed whether or not we sense them. The least we can do is try to be there so that creation need not play to an empty house. And what she's saying is that creation, that God's creation is this wild and beautiful scape that is always dancing and singing and dazzling. But we don't always see it. That sometimes it's playing to an empty house. So like I mentioned, I do have two daughters and they are 18 and 15. And like a lot of teenagers, the way that they have made money over the last several years is by babysitting. And so I don't know if you know this or not, but right now babysitting is very lucrative. Like if you teach school, don't add up what you make an hour versus what people who are babysitting make an hour because you will come out on the losing end. Like that is the go-to thing. And so my daughter has these kids that she babysits regularly. And so last month she was babysitting and this family has a couple of boys. And the entire time that she was there, they were just on their iPads. And when they weren't on their iPads, they were fighting about the iPads. And even when she tried to redirect them, try to get them to do something else, play together, go outside, do something different than just sit and play a game or watch something on their iPad, they wouldn't. And so she sent us a text and the text said, 
Very glad I didn't grow up with a lot of screens. Thank you, parents, for raising me outside. Now, if you're a parent, you know there are very few parenting wins. Like, I'm going to keep that text forever. Like, put that on my gravestone. Like, I did one thing right. Like, in all the whole, like, we managed to do one thing that they were thankful for. But we live in this culture that is almost like the wild abandonment of outside doesn't exist anymore. And we might want to ask, like, what are we missing? Because we have fallen into this pattern where we just want to document everything and live nothing. It's like we do anything, we have to take a picture to put it on Instagram. Or, or we make these TikTok videos, which my goodness, I watch some of these sometimes, like how long does it take you to put together this video? Like overdubbing music. There, there's such a great fear of missing out and not being able to document this thing that we did that we almost missed the thing that we were doing while we were trying to document it. So last week I was, I was in Arkansas. And so with a book coming out in May, there's just a lot of travel associated with it. And this is my fourth book. And so there are a lot of people who I don't know, but they know me. And there's a weird thing that happens when that dynamic is part of your life. Like you will be at a place with other people and you will be talking and they will be on their phones taking pictures of you talking, which I don't get at all. Or after they will come up to you and ask if they can take a picture with you, which I think is the weirdest thing in the entire world. Like, can we get a picture with you? I take pictures with my children and the first thing they say is, don't post that. And I wonder, have we, have we slidden in to a life that misses what's right in front of us? So about 10 years ago, I was guest preaching at this church in Colorado Springs. And it was like a large building and right behind Right behind the stage, there was just this huge gray wall. And I asked some of the church leaders, like, why is that wall, why did you guys have a huge cement wall back there? Because you know what was on the other side of that wall? Pike's Peak. And they said, well, when we built this building, we worried that if we put windows instead of a wall, people would be distracted during worship. Annie Dillard says, creation is performing, but you have to show up for it, to see it. And there's something of God in it. And later in the book, she wrote this, she says, after the one extravagant gesture of creation in the first place, the universe has continued to deal exclusively in extravagances, 
flinging intricacies and colossi down, aeons of emptiness, heaping profusions of profligacies with ever-fresh vigor. The whole show has been on fire from the word go. I come down to the water to cool my eyes, but everywhere I look, I see fire. That which isn't flint is tender, and the whole world sparks and flames. And it's amazing that Annie Dillard won the Pulitzer Prize for writing that. And in 2016, she won the National Humanities Medal for her writing because it's the very same thing that the scriptures have been trying to tell us for thousands and thousands of years, that there's God in creation. And there's something about God that we see and we know and we understand right in front of us. This is how Psalm 19 puts it. The heavens are telling the glory of God and the firmament proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Yet their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom from his wedding canopy and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them and nothing is hidden from its heat. What Annie Dillard echoes from the Psalms is what I've begun calling unabridged noticing. That God is at work in the physical world around us, that he is revealed that there are lessons learned right there, that God is not only creator, but revealed in creation. And that creation itself is not only evidence of God, but there's something of God in it. And, and people who want to brick over Pike's Peak, what they're worried about is that we would fall into the worship of creation and while we should never worship the creation over the creator, it does mean that without noticing, without seeing, we run the risk of not seeing God. And it's not for nothing. It's not just for creation. Because when we begin to notice God's creation, we begin to notice all of God's creation, including one another. As Annie Dillard was writing Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, her brother-in-law died. Just before her sister married her brother-in-law, he was diagnosed with leukemia. And for three years after their wedding, they watched him die. And all of this was happening as she was writing Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. And this is what she says about that time. She says, I could not write this little cheerful nature book 
nor could I write a new version of the argument from design. I had to write for people who are dying or grieving. That's everybody. The images of my sister and her husband were right there in the room as I wrote. And this is not unlike what I discovered when I started walking my dog every day. Because the first of my great illusions to pass away when I started walking the dog every day was my illusions about scale. Because when I drive through my neighborhood, it takes 90 seconds. But when I walk every street, it can take nearly an hour. And my subdivision is just bigger than I thought it was. And you know what I see? I see other people out for their daily walk and runners who are training for their next race, working toward their next marathon. I see old couples walking hand in hand as their daily walk testifies to a long romance. I see other people walking their dogs, presumably dogs they love and wonder why I don't love mine. I see homes where they need their fences repaired. And I see rusted out play sets that testify to homes with children now grown and gone, too old for slides and swings. I notice there's one house on my walk where for a month, I just saw the mail in the mailbox building and building and building. And my first thought is, somebody need to come get their mail. And then I look closer, and there's a small SUV sitting in the driveway, one tire half on the driveway, half off, a brick stuck under another tire, and the back tire is flat. Things just build up at that house. Something is going on at that house. Something's happening with the people who live there. What should I do? There's a story. No one lets their life just deteriorate like that without a reason. Just a few houses down, there is a house that's gutters overflowing with leaves and debris and trash. So much dirt and buildup that weeds had started to grow out of the gutters. My first thought, where's the HOA? What are they good for if we're just going to let this happen? And a couple weeks later, there's an elderly woman sitting out front with her walker next to her and a young man, ladder, leaned up against the house, cleaning out her gutters. Who is he? 
Who is he to her? A son, a grandson, another neighbor more thoughtful than me. He knocks on the door and says, I can clean your gutters. We begin to notice, and not just the physical world, but one another outside is a space for noticing. And I would have never noticed any of those things from inside my house or inside my car. I had to get out. And following the stories of people who come along all of these broken fences and filled mailboxes and clean them out and fix them up, I notice. And there is a story of power and beauty. Annie Dillard asks, she says, the real and proper question is, why is it beautiful? Why is God's creation beautiful? Because it certainly doesn't have to be beautiful to function, just to work. Go home and go online and find out what some of the creatures who live at the very bottom of the sea actually look like. They are not beautiful. But there are others closer to the surface that we can see. And they are beautiful. Why is it beautiful? In the Gospel of John, there's this little detail tucked away in one of the resurrection stories, the stories that happen right after Jesus is resurrected. And here's how John's gospel tells that story. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. John says that Mary mistakes Jesus for a gardener. Like, why? Because at the tomb, there's something else a garden, a place of beauty. And here's what the scripture knows. And I wouldn't try to trick you or fool you or believe that life is any other way because you know this already. Life is full of tombs, disappointments, reversals, setbacks, small deaths every day. 
while it is full of tombs, it is in the garden that there is beauty all around you. And while there are tombs in your life, there is also flourishing and thriving. And it's no surprise that at the beginning of Scripture's story, there is a garden. And at the end of Scripture's story, there is a garden. And maybe, just maybe, part of our task while we are here is to become the kind of people who would enjoy it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.